Welcome to the Darkness Dwells podcast, episode 56. I am your host, and who is that there with me? It's Michael Schutz. Hello out there. Hey, Michael. How's it going today? I'm good. Um, You and I were just talking for a while about how hot it is down by me, and I'm I swear I'm melting. <laughs> I, uh, one of my goals for today was to at least get some progress in an author newsletter, but as soon as I signed up, I got as far as registering for MailChimp, but I, I couldn't, you know, like my brain is melting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what the next step is, so I had to, had to give up. It's uh, hard. It's, it's, it's difficult to think when, uh, when it's that hot out. It is. And it never used to bother me. When I was a kid growing up in Wisconsin, you know, we were just talking about triple digits. And, and it just didn't bother me. But my old bones are getting weary now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? Uh, aging, I find that as well. Um, like, extreme temperatures affect me. When I was a kid, they never did. Um, yeah. Like, the heat. Oh, my God. Or, or the cold. The cold. Like, when it's minus 20 out Celsius, I don't know what that would be uh, in Fahrenheit, but... Uh, it, let's just say it's damn cold. It's too cold. <laughs> when I was a kid, though, yeah. I'd run around in it. My cheeks would like sting a little, but that was it. And uh, and now I'm like, it goes right through me. <laughs> I don't want to die. Yeah, I, I was never really sleep. happy with the cold, but uh, but it does affect me worse now. But, but you know, I came out to California from Wisconsin to escape that. Yeah. So so you if went, I ever went back. I think I might I might cry. Yeah, you might. <laughs> uh, I don't mind the cold so much as the snow, though. I hate snow. It just covers everything. Really? Yeah, I hate oh, snow. Oh, I'm just the opposite. I hate the cold, but I love the snow. Well, the cold I can hate, too, but uh, you can generally get away from it in this day and age. I'll take your bedroom. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, yeah, but the heat, I find... Like I don't mind the heat. I'm not. I'm not one of those people who bitch about the the heat so much as I bitch about the cold. Actually. Oh, you mean like me? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, well, there's you uh, know there's those people like everyone pretty much is the one of these people who bitches when it's too hot, bitches when it's too cold. Uh, well, you, you might find me bitching this year about the heat because of where I work now, but. <laughs> I'm just disheartened that I've become one of those people that talk about the weather at all. Like when when I go down to check. <laughs> the mail if one of my neighbors is out outside i have nothing else to say except yeah, comment so, on the weather so you're like ah, oh, nice day out <laughs> it's eh? like sad <laughs> and you used to like look down on that when you're younger <laughs> oh yeah like, why do you talk about that it's so boring. <laughs> hot enough for you at least i'm not saying that i haven't <laughs> oh, yet done that i i've said that uh, but oh, I, <laughs> shame yeah i know i i do feel the shame <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get into what the show's about this week or anything like that, how about we uh, uh, discuss our sponsors for a minute? Uh, Sounds for, good. We've got some good ones. Oh, we do, definitely. Uh, especially the first one here, uh, Crystal Lake Publishing. They've been, uh, they've been publishing since 2012, and they have quickly become one of the leading indie publishers of mystery, thrillers, and suspense books with a dark and sometimes a supernatural edge. Um, they have a, a lot of really fascinating authors on their uh, list, including Mercedes M. Yardley uh, and Richard Thomas. He recently uh, uh, released a uh, uh, an anthology of his short stories called Tribulations with them. 
And uh, Jasper Bark recently uh, released a, a, a novel with them called The Final Cut. I believe that came out just last week as of this recording. I just today put that on my want-to-read list, yeah. and, and I have every intention of getting to it quickly this time. I, I, uh, I like his work, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's a fascinating guy, and we're going to learn a little bit more about him in just a few seconds. Uh, we are also sponsored by, uh, uh, oh, somehow I lost it. Audible.com. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely it's the heat. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. I, uh, I had the page up, but I lost it. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we are also sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a uh, online web store for uh for audiobooks if you're an audiobook fan even if you're not you should really check it out to see if you are <laughs> because <laughs> listening to audiobooks is a really good way to uh you know uh to catch up on your reading and audible.com has one hell of a library uh they they have almost everything that's available in audiobook so go to www.audibletrial.com/darknessdwells and sign up for a free month-long membership. That membership will get you one free audiobook. And after that, it costs roughly around $15 a month, and that $15 gets you a free audio, or not a free audiobook, a $15 worth uh, audiobook. And uh, there's different plans, though. If you, if you don't like that, you can pay like $22 a month, and you get two audiobooks for that price. And let me tell you, that's that's a really good deal. Uh, audiobooks are not cheap. Nothing in the digital world is cheap. Um, well, I wouldn't say nothing, but most things. Um, so definitely go to audible.com and uh, check them out. I did have a recommendation, but I lost it. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to bother uh, looking it up. Well, we'll just have better recommendations for you next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen King's End of Watch is coming out um, very soon, and... Uh he usually gets some really good good readers on his audio books. So yeah, that, that you can probably that's a uh, pre recommendation. I think you could probably pre order that. I don't know, but <laughs> but uh, you know. I'm yeah, always, can you do that? Uh, yeah, you can. You can pre order uh, audio books there, and being a member, it'll just uh, show up in your account. Uh, the one really cool thing about Audible.com is they now have an app for your cell phone or uh, or your iPhone or whatever you're using. I imagine it's for iPod as well and, and tablets. But uh, when you sign up uh, for that app, it pretty much is a direct line to your library. So uh, you can listen to your books from your cell phone, which is what I do. And uh, it's a really cool feature because uh, you don't have to like log into shit and, or download stuff. It's right there. And, well, you yeah, can download a- it, but it's it's like right there to download. You don't have to like. I remember the days when we would download, <laughs> we would download audiobooks and try to fit them on our phones or our MP3 players or whatever. It was a real pain in the ass. <laughs> These guys uh, with their <laughs> uh, with their apps have made it much more uh, easy. <laughs> so definitely check that out. All right. Yeah, as soon as I updated my iPod, I became obsessed with apps. I'm app obsessed. Oh, me too. <laughs> I was actually visiting a friend about well a couple of months ago, and he was looking at my phone, and he he was looking at all the apps I have on there. He's like, "Holy shit, you got like a ton of apps!" And I was like, "Yeah," and I use pretty much all of them too. Which is <laughs> I don't know if that's sad or or what. Like, like I think there might be a personality disorder somewhere in there <laughs> because my phone <laughs> yeah. is yeah my phone is something new on apps. the uh, MS MSR. 
4 or whatever it's called. Yeah. The DSM 4. Yeah. <laughs> But, but there, there's I don't know how many apps I have I haven't counted them but like there's page after page of apps and I do use all of them pretty regularly except for maybe one or two that uh, I haven't deleted yet. <laughs> 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 all right, so this week um, we have a, a really big episode, um, and uh, it starts off with uh, my interview with uh, Jasper Bark, which was. Uh, a really, a really fun interview to do. Jasper is really—he's <laughs> a—he's an awesome guy to talk to, and uh, I talked to him all the way across the pond, called the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> and uh, we also have Christina Cooper. She re- comes back to review Blackwater Val uh, by oh, nice. William Gorman. And we also have in our news section, which is very next, uh, we have some uh, pretty. Uh, interesting things to talk about, like a uh, what scares the masters of horror? <laughs> what books scare the masters of horror? By, from the people that love our list. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a fascinating article, and uh, I was glad to have found it. So, uh, so yeah, how about we uh, how about we step into this uh, toes first, and uh, well, actually, fuck the toes. Let's just dive into this episode. Let's dive in. Yes. Let's do it. All right, let's go. As oh, we boy. always do. Sw- swimming sounds really good right now. Not not to you know harp on the heat or anything. Man, that sounds really good. It's like man, I could really use a swim. Oh, you got you got me thinking now. <laughs> Might have to run go to the water or the bath. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with the news. So, uh, <laughs> so you, you still there, Michael? You haven't melted into a puddle yet? No, but I, I slipped into my swim trunks. So, <laughs> so let's wrap this up. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I got to go cool off, man. Yeah. Uh, I got to fill the bathtub with cold water. <laughs> don't forget the ice. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to die. orgasmic. I really like that idea. <laughs> You're going to die of hypothermia on this. <laughs> oh, that would be ironic. It would be. <laughs> <laughs> we he died of hypothermia, but he's Yuba City man dies of hypothermia <laughs> in the middle of a heat wave. Yeah, uh, that, that would be your luck, is more like it. <laughs> I'd be remembered. He would be the guy who died of hypothermia in the middle of his apartment or in the bathroom of his apartment during a, yeah. like a massive heat wave. Ah. Uh, that would be oh. a mystery. They're like, did he fill his uh, bathtub with ice or something? Maybe maybe Mulder and Scully will come pay a visit. They might, the X-Files, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, do you have anything you want to discuss in the news? I do. I have some American Horror Story news, um, cool. some good news and some bad news. Uh-oh. The uh, bad news is that Jessica Lange is still not going to come back for, uh, for season six mm-hmm. coming up. Um, however... And in good news, maybe it's good news. I think so. Lady Gaga is all set to come back for the upcoming season six of American Horror Story. Um, the theme of which I don't know. I don't know if uh, if anybody else out there does. 
But Jessica Lange apparently will be in another Ryan Murphy series. She's going to play one half of um, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, along with Susan Sarandon. And uh, kind of a, I don't know, kind of a pseudo-biographical story about those two and their turbulent relationships. So some Jessica Lange and Lady Gaga news for you fans out there. That that would be really cool watching that. I yeah, I love Jessica Lang, I love Susan Sarandon, and I love whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah. So put those all together with with Ryan Murphy, who just has such a unique look on things. Everything that he does is uh it's it's just really weird. He's just really weird. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. Um, did you like uh, Lady Gaga in uh, in the, oh, the hotel one? God, did I ever! She played oh. a vampire, right? She did. Very, yeah. very seductive and bloodthirsty, and oh, nice. Yeah. I, you know, we were talking about this show uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I remember wondering if it, if uh, the hotel one is uh, out on streaming services yet. And I'm happy yeah. to say that I believe it is. I, I looked into it, and uh, I can't. In Canada, I don't know if you guys get it. You probably have it on Hulu or something like that. But uh, in Canada, we have what's called Show Me. I don't know if that's in America too, but I believe it's on Show Me in Canada. So check that out. I've heard of that, but maybe just from you. I don't yeah, know. probably. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other news? Um, just a, a little bit. I see from iHorror.com that Stephen King's Mr. Mercedes is going to be a television show, a 10-episode yeah. straight-to-series, which sounds really great. It's going to have David E. Kelly and Jack Bender as producers. Um, David E. Kelly from a crap load of shows, including Boston Legal, and Jack Bender was one of the producers of Lost. So this sounds like it has has a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's going to be on AT&T's Audience Network, which is a channel just for people that have U-verse and AT&T service. Oh, really? So it might be a while to hit streaming services. Yeah, that's annoying when uh, when a show you really want to watch comes out like that. Cause, uh, yeah, and not like just, you know, like a, a premium cable channel or something but something that's really exclusive to your provider that's yeah i've never heard that before well it's a new day and age <laughs> yeah but, but i had that same problem with uh bosch although i haven't watched it yet even though it's available to me now through show me again um uh but bosch is based on the books of uh michael connelly and his uh well his bosch series detective bosch <laughs> and i did watch the first part of the like maybe 20 minutes of the first episode and I got angry because of how different it was so I turned it off <laughs> but uh but I just collected a bunch of Michael Connelly books because I read I read the poet yeah and I read the drop although I don't really remember the drop uh-huh. which as as you all know out there my not remembering something is no commentary on the quality. That's <laughs> just me. But uh, I didn't know it was a series. That sounds that sounds really good. I bet. Yeah. Well, after I uh, you know turned it off in a in a huff, 
<laughs> you know, I uh, I thought about it, and I was like, you know what, it it makes sense. I mean, the books themselves were started, I think, early '90s. Um, they're like in the 20s now, I think. Uh, like 23 or 24th book is out, and <laughs> and uh, and so of course they're going to make changes. They made the yeah. they, they made the show more modern than uh, than to say from 1991 or 1994 or whenever it started. So, uh, and I think you know the books take place in the 80s as well. So so uh, or at least it starts in the 80s. You kind of follow his life along, and apparently now he's like an Bosch is like an old man. But ready to retire or something like that. I uh, haven't made it that far in the series, so I don't know. But yeah, that uh, yeah. So I, I know how you feel about that. <laughs> Pisses me off. Well, when I'm. You'll have to let me know if you if you go back. Yeah. And and, and watch some more. So uh, what else do you got? Anything else? That is it for me. I have one thing that I wanted to talk about, and it's actually pretty big news. Um, everyone's probably heard it by now, but I wanted to uh, bring it up because I think it's really cool. And that, of course, is uh, uh, John Carpenter is returning to uh, to movies. Ooh! But he's not he's not in the director's seat. But it's not just John Carpenter; it's also a Halloween, uh, another Halloween remake that John Carpenter is going to be uh, a creative consultant and producer of, and it's supposed mm. scheduled for an October of 2017 release. So, is this? Do you know? Is this going to be another look at, at like, the original story, the same as his and Rob Zombie's first Halloween? To be honest, uh, that's all I know. I don't know what they're doing with the story. Um, uh, I don't, yeah, I have no idea what they're doing with the story. If it's going to be like a, I know that they wanted to continue Rob Zombie's sort of universe, but he said no, <laughs> and uh, and so they just forgot about it. So I don't know. It might be just a separate movie. I don't know where it's going to stem from. But I, I, you know, I think it's cool and when uh, John Carpenter is like, yeah, you know what, I'll step in and, and help out. Because uh, I would really like it if he made at least a couple more films before, you know, the inevitable terrible thing that's awaiting us all happens yeah, to Yeah, it might happen this year the way we're going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because, like, everyone's dying, right? Yeah. Nuts. It's terrible. It's John like, Carpenter should make a movie about that. Yeah, <laughs> it was terrible, like celebrity virus or something. <laughs> John Carpenter's "I'm gonna die next." Yeah. <laughs> I'm next. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, that is funny. We, we should write that movie. I'm next. <laughs> yeah, we should. We talked about that once. Yeah, we did. Um, so yeah, that uh, that's it. But uh, I also wanted to talk about. Uh, uh, this interesting article I came across from uh, uh, from Horror Novel Review, and that's uh, horrornovelreviews.com. Um, I actually never came across this site before, but I'm so glad I did. It's uh, by Matt uh, Holgard, or sorry, uh, Molgards. I believe he's a writer, and uh, and he came up with this really fascinating uh, uh, article. And the title of the article is Jonathan Mayberry, Ramsey Campbell, and 16 other amazing horror authors tell us what books terrified them. 
And uh, when I saw this article, I, I had to shoot it to you right away because I was like, "Wow, this is awesome!" I read the whole thing and and uh, I was blown away. Like it's so fun just seeing what these authors like. It is awesome, and and it's a subject that really interests me because. A lot of horror fiction really doesn't scare me, yeah. which I, I always think is, you know, probably, like, really terrible, but turns out from the list that I am not the only one that that sometimes doesn't feel the, the terror. Yeah, you know what? I, I've had this conversation before. Like, movies can scare me, but uh, horror literature often does not scare me. It can disturb me. But yeah, uh, yeah. but but that's a different sort of emotion being disturbed than from being afraid. But I have actually had that 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 reaction, and uh, I guess we'll get into it maybe at the end of what scares us of this discussion. Uh, or well, you may have already answered it, but <laughs> I'll tell you what. No, I'll, I do. I I do in fact have a list. Ah, so. yeah. You know what? Uh, I I I know what one one book is going to be on yours. I know it. Well, I hope so. <laughs> All right. So, uh, <laughs> Tim Tim Wagner, he's the author of Necropolis and The Winter Box. He's uh, and books like Like Death. Um, and you know what? This uh, there's another interesting thing about this list. There's a couple, and this is one of them. Uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, books that were turned into movies where the movie scared me, <laughs> but the book didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they and this is uh, one of them, the Mothman prophecies, uh, by John Keel. Now I've read, I've read the book and I, I've watched the movie, and let me tell you, the movie gave me chills, and it still does whenever I watch it now. But uh, the yeah, book, the book was just like, eh, whatever, right? <laughs> it was good, not really all that rem- remember. Ugh, I can't remember it actually very much at all. But uh, but the movie just sticks in my mind. Have you read the book? I haven't read the book. It's, um, it's actually kind of dry, if I remember. It wasn't very scary at all, or, or hmm. rich. I saw way. the documentary, though. Um, I don't remember if the documentary... I think it came out after the Richard Gere movie, but the uh, the documentary was, was really scary, too. Hmm. So I'm going to have to hunt that I mean, down. Uh, yeah. The movie's definitely, definitely scared me. I love that movie, especially when he's talking to it on the phone. Uh, yeah, because like, oh, you know, you're talking to some kind of supernatural entity. Like, what do you say? <laughs> like, who are you? What are you? Who, where do you come from? <laughs> who sent you? <laughs> the Mothman just freaks me out. Yeah, just the idea of it. It's, it's really creepy. Well, and and it's because he, uh, I kind of forget. He predicts. He shows up when tragedies are going to happen. Is that the yeah, that the the Mothman thing or whatever it is? Yeah. It's like weird things, really weird things start happening before uh, a serious yeah uh, disaster. And uh, that's the thing is that he's not just like something that that terrorizes. Yeah, you know, there, so much weirdness surrounds the whole phenomenon that uh yeah, it's it's just so bizarre. It's hard to wrap my mind around it, yeah. and that disturbs me. Yeah, it's it's fucked up, and and you know what? Even that story itself, it's it's bit of a it's not necessarily well, it is horror movie for sure, but it's more of like a weird story, and the fact that it's based like I say in quotations based on real events, 
uh, because who knows if it's actually real or not, or if we're just getting the shit crammed down our throats to make us wonder. It is true. <laughs> it, is. it is true, Jason. No, um, you know what I mean. But uh, it doesn't matter if it's real or not. The story itself is scary. Yes. All right, so, uh, so next, by Ramsey Campbell... And I don't think I need to introduce him, but I'm going to anyway. He's the author of books like The Wolfman, Secret Stories, The Overnight, um, quite a a few others. He's a fantastic short story writer as well. And uh, what does he... Oh, yeah, he says... uh, Stephen King's Revival is a book that he says scared him. Which is really interesting. I uh, I wasn't scared by that at all. No? But the reason that he gives yeah, is really interesting. Because he says that... Uh, uh, well, let me read his quote. He says, I argued in my introduction to Pet Cemetery that despite his feelings, I imagine he means Stephen King's, about the novel, uh, that, uh, that the book isn't actually devoid of hope, as uh, Stephen King thought since we get the sense that it's meddling with the afterlife that has caused the horrors. In Revival, though, they're utterly inescapable and await every one of us. And I guess that's what scared them. The whatever it is in Revival (laughs) that does that. It's the Mothman. I mean, not to spoil (laughs) it for everyone, but... Bum-bum-bum-bum, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Mothman. The Mossman's involved in everything, just so you know. Did you ever read Revival yet? No, not yet. I keep meaning to, but time and my slowness of reading. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I know you're as backlogged with, with titles that you want to read as I am. It's oh, hard Christ. to, you know. It's, uh, my list, my to-read list is, like, huge. It's insane. Yeah. I, I, I almost, like, have a self-loathing issue because of it. <laughs> <laughs> don't feel that bad <laughs> alright next we have uh, Kathy Koja I hope I uh, pronounced that correctly uh, her and this is another example of what I was talking about earlier about adapting to film Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House that's the book that she says scared her uh, now <laughs> I've, I've read the book and I liked it I liked it a lot I found it fascinating but I, I didn't find it all that scary but the uh now the movie adaptation now i'm talking about the one from like 1962 i think it is uh yeah it's black and white now that movie is actually very very creepy and scary but like i said the book the book made you think more than anything else i didn't find it all that scary yeah i wasn't scared by it but i was enthralled oh yeah with for it. sure you know it wasn't it, just yeah, I love that book. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it was. It didn't scare me. It's it's either my first or second favorite all time novel, and one that I try to read every couple of years. Yeah, I love it. Uh, but it's I don't know. Did did you find it scary? Um, a little bit scary. The part where when Eleanor is in Theo's room and she finds out that you know she thinks that she's holding Theo's hand, that mm-hmm. part. That oh, part yeah. was really, was, was... A little creepy? Pretty scary, but otherwise, no. I'm, I'm in your same boat. It wasn't like, oh, now I'm scared, but... Uh, <laughs> I have to tiptoe to the it's, bathroom. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's a 
it's a phenomenal book and sort of you know induces a lot of dread and, oh, and yeah, creepy sure. thoughts but yeah and even maybe disturbing thoughts um very uh, disturbing thoughts yeah yeah uh next up we have lee mcdurge um uh, they are author of the slender man uh take this child the thing zero day and uh, they say that uh clive barker's the damnation game uh gave them nightmares as a kid now i have an interesting link with this book as well because i st- i started reading this when i was uh i don't know how old it was i was still in my teens though and uh, i didn't finish it i only read like the first two chapters and that part sticks with me and it sticks with this author author as well because they go on to say the opening scenes of a man walking through a landscape of war rubble in search of a card game he couldn't win has always stuck with me and that image is the exact same thing that stuck with me as well i just bought that book and it's it's sitting in my on deck circle so and which is weird when i because I, i literally just ordered it off ebay two days ago and then it's on on this list yeah, so I'm yeah, really cool. excited for it. Um, that's like the only Clive Barker book I, I haven't read, except for maybe the Aberat series. I haven't read those. But uh, but the Damnation Game is the only thing of his horror novels, anyway, that I haven't read. And I guess Yeah, that's been a blind well. spot for me, too, and I don't know why. It's weird. So. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, a couple of the later books of Books of Blood and The Damnation Game and Aberat. Those are... I haven't read those either. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Joe R. Lansdale, author. Well, he's author of many different things, uh, including Incident on and Off, A Mountain Road, and uh, Bubba Hotep. Um, now, he, he lists uh, The Haunting of Hill House as well. Also, Dracula, uh, Silence of the Lambs, The Shining, Salem, and Salem's Lot. And he also notes that short stories scare him more than probably novels. Uh, I think it's a, an interesting list there because, uh, not well, maybe, maybe Salem's Lot or The Shining gave me the chills at one point, but none of the other books did. Oh, actually, I never read Silence of the Lambs, so I can't say anything about that one. But Dracula, I always found kind of funny because well, I don't know. I, I never found that scary, especially after, uh, uh, you know, once the humans start fighting back, Dracula turns around like a pansy and runs back to his castle. <laughs> yeah, that always bothered me, too. As a matter of fact, I, uh, we were talking talking maybe last week about creating lists of eh movies. Yeah. Well, Dracula is an eh book for me. Oh, yeah? You know, I don't want to be drummed out of the HWA for this, but I don't like Dracula. <laughs> I, the man, HWA, they're going to hunt you whole, down now, man. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna I'll have to you sanctuary with Brian Keane. He'll help me out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, they're going to crucify you upside down and whip you with, uh, I don't know. I'll probably never win a Bram Stoker Award after that. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, you just said something bad about Bram Stoker. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Shit, you fucked up. Yeah, God. No. <laughs> edit this out. God damn it, Michael. I'm going to have to edit this out. <laughs> No, actually. Although I should say the beginning of Dracula. You know when yeah. it when it goes to it just becomes this tawdry gothic love story about about Mina yeah. that I didn't expect. But the first part of Dracula, when when Jonathan is is in the castle. Oh, actually, I love that part. That 
the first part of Dracula is some of the best literature I've ever read. Yeah, you know, for sure. and I and I'm not just saying that to cover up my track, <laughs> but <laughs> but honestly, that is that's really really fantastic, and yeah. it's stuck with me for many years, and it's it's kind of been in the back of my mind, and uh, it's kind of inspired a, a sequence in my next upcoming book which i which i just started writing so i I will say that the beginning of dracula is really great oh it is uh and i i also love how it's written i think it was uh uh kind of uh an inspired thing for the day and age it was published i don't know but uh you know in all letters and journal entries and all that it's fascinating yeah yeah i've never been a big fan of fan of that but certainly at the time that must have Lent. Yeah, I, I guess kind of like the equivalent of, of the found footage films when yeah. Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity burst on the scene. Yeah. All right, so next, uh, speaking of Brian Keene, uh, he's next. And uh, he uh, he lists uh, Sticks by Carl Edward Wagner. And uh, that's, I guess, a short story. Uh, a no- the novel he would select or novels, I should say, is The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson and The Stand by Stephen King. I haven't read uh, Borderland yet, but it's always on my radar. It's just one of those books I can never get to. But, you know, the concept of The Stand scares me, and I remember actually reading it when I was younger, and every time I've read it since, the same thing fucking happens. Um, You're reading it, and everyone's getting sick, and then you find yourself getting sick, and you're like, "Oh shit!" <gasps> yeah, Captain Trips is oh, on good, my ass. Oh, good, the only one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that that part kind of scares me, but I, I found it more fascinating actually. Uh, I don't know if if that says something about my personality, but as the world kind of died, uh, I don't know. I just found that fa- he creates a really fascinating worlds. Uh, yeah, very believable. I I also like the beginning of the stand, but. I, you know, I I have a couple times just read that that opening part. I think part one is just called Captain Trips. Like yeah. when Mother Abigail gets introduced, I start losing interest. That the whole process of the spreading of of the flu and and mankind dying yeah. is some of the best writing around. Oh, um, for sure. I'm absolutely just enthralled with the beginning of the stand yeah there's so much detail too like uh the city stinking because uh yeah because of all the dead bodies uh it's just like just things like that it's just like wow this is this is deep <laughs> the lincoln tunnel scene oh that oh yeah yeah that's that's some awesome stuff right there uh next up we have ronald malfi uh, he's author of uh, floating staircase and little girls and he has one book that he mentions and you know what this book did have some pretty creepy moments uh and that's pet cemetery by stephen king obviously which, yeah which i just reread and found it more powerful the second time around oh yeah i wouldn't doubt that uh i remember watching the movie and and uh i think it's the wife i don't remember her character's name but she had a sister with uh spinal meningitis yeah, and uh, that the, that character in the movie freaked the shit out of me when I was a kid. I uh, I had a lot of trouble watching that. <laughs> but the uh, part in the book affected me more than than it did the first time too. Yeah, yeah. The, well, they go into more detail in the book too. But yeah, that's a really good book. I love it. Uh, I love the book obviously more in the movie. But 
uh, you know, uh, the movie sort of had a pacing problem, I think. I wonder if they'll ever come out with that. There's that, that remake that's still on the horizon somewhere. Hopefully. I mean, it would be interesting. Yeah. All right, next we have Hunter Shea, author of uh, The Montuck Monster and Hellhole. Uh, and they state uh, The House by Bentley Little, which I found fascinating, but there was things in that book that also really disturbed me, and not necessarily in a good guy, or in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also uh, The Resort by the same author, Bentley Little. I haven't read that one, though. But uh, The House... I haven't read either of these. Yeah, The House... The House was both fascinating and then there's that disturbing part that I, I mentioned that I didn't like at all and hmm. so that that sort of like took away from from the novel but but the rest of it was well really no awesome. that intrigues me even more <laughs> well you'll <laughs> know what it is once you read it I'm not going to spoil it by saying although maybe somebody should just to <laughs> warn no <laughs> it's, it's really, I'm going to yeah. put myself in a little hidey hole so nobody tells me what it is oh uh, no like uh look yeah just read it and <laughs> you'll find out you'll 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 see what I'm talking about. Okay, next is uh, Jonathan Jans, author of The Sorrows, Children of the Dark, uh, uh many many others. Um now he mentions uh, Peter Straub's Ghost Story. I know that's a favorite of yours. It is. And he also mentions uh, Stephen King's Salem's Lot, Pet Cemetery, It, The Stand, uh also uh, Willie, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist and Legion, uh, The Elementals by Michael McDowell, Hell House by uh, Richard Matheson, Dark Gods by T.E.D. Klein, and sh- the short stories of M.R. James and Edgar Allan Poe, and uh, two more, The Haunting of Hill House and Lord of the Flies. I like this Jonathan Jantz because because he's easily scared. I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to sit down and talk with him. He sounds he sounds very interesting, you know. To have, uh, you know, to ha- kind of have have the opposite response of me, which you know, t- kind of can't feel that in in a book, and and to know that somebody is like really receptive to that. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I I kind of agree. Like some of these stuff, I can some of these books, I can see uh, why, but others like. For example, uh, Hell House by Richard Matheson. I, I really enjoyed that book. It was a lot of fun. But it did nothing <laughs> to scare me. Um, uh, also, uh, what, what what's another one I want to... Uh, Dark Gods by T.E.D. Klein. That one didn't scare me. It's like very literary and very well-written, awesome literature, but it, it didn't scare me. Uh, but I can see, like, M.R. James and Edgar Allan Poe, those, like, old uh, weird fiction stories, some of those can be a little creepy for sure, but they never... Yeah. They, well, it's more the concept. I think Edgar Allan Poe is better at scaring you, in a sense, because of the things he... Twisted things he did to his characters. It'd make you kind of fall in the thresh between being disturbed and being frightened. And uh, that's one thing I love about Edgar Allan Poe. M.R. James just told really good ghost stories and yeah well they both really cast amazing spells over over a reader oh for sure and of course there's the stephen king stories and he can definitely be disturbing and scary but yeah and he definitely picks the the ones that are probably arguably of course probably the most powerful of kings 
know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, for sure. There's, there, there's a case can be made for all of those as some of the most frightening books out there. Definitely. I totally agree. I love that. his inclusion of Lord of the Flies. That's really interesting. That is because interesting. Because that's scary on, on kind of a, a different level. Oh, for sure. And that kind of brings uh, me to one of my scary books, but we'll uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, next up, we have Graham Masterton, and uh, well, he's the author of The Manitou and Ghost Music, many many others. Uh, and now he was t- he was saying in his uh, answer to this that he was talking to somebody about it, and uh, and he has the same problem as us uh, that he's yeah. never really been scared by a book, or at least he might have even because he doesn't like i do have a couple and so do you but he doesn't i know i I feel like he could have put forth a little bit of effort (laughs) yeah because i'm sure if he thought it thought about it maybe maybe something would come up but you know he's he's still he still has that uh that idea that you know books it's really hard to scare somebody with with novels which is great that he's the one one that said that because if graham masterton can be somewhat immune to to the horror in in written fiction. Then I'm in good know. hand. You're in good company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they can keep they can maybe not crucify you upside down quite so hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if they wrote about that, it would scare me. Yeah, that would that would scare me too. Uh, Benedict Ashforth. Uh, now Benedict is the author of uh, Abbott's Keep. A ghost story and uh, Ver- uh, sorry, Verona, a ghost story. Um, let me see. I didn't read this one in a while uh, since this morning. So uh, there's like this weird link that that's in the, in the middle of this article. I don't think it's meant to be. Yeah, there. that that the author comments on, but apparently didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're going what, to what Benedict meant. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to take this to mean that Dennis McOin. I'm going to say that is, scares the crap out of uh, Benedict Ashforth. And also Dark Matter by Michelle Paver. And The Girl on the Landing by Paul Torday. And uh, The Secret History, which is uh, very interesting, by Donna Tartt. Uh, I haven't read that yet, but I want to read it because I've, he- I've heard before that it's actually pretty... that Donna Tartt writes... Uh, she doesn't write horror. She's definitely a literary writer but she writes very dark almost like borderline horror stuff so uh, I've been wanting to check her out I enjoyed the goldfinch oh yeah that was pretty pretty damn good yeah Um, next up we have Keelan Patrick Burke he's the author of Sour Candy Kin and a slew of others as well and he would uh, say Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy is a is the unusual choice, as he puts it, uh, <laughs> and I would agree. Um, but he says that everything about that book got under his skin. It's grim, nihilistic, depressing, bleak, and ultra-violent, which I find that kind of stuff more uh, depressing and uh, disturbing than necessarily scary. I think there is a difference between being disturbed and being scared, although they, they can run on the same sort of emotion sometimes. There is a difference, and it kind of gets ignored. I think it gets ignored in the movies a lot. When you yeah. when you look through what kind of films are classified as horror, and it's just a lot of, you know, torture porn and yeah. shit like that, which 
that's Which, that's not scary, you know, like the whole serial killer genre. Yeah, that's not really necessarily scary. It's just really bloody and violent. Yeah, <laughs> it would only be scary if you woke up to that reality. Yes, your <laughs> your worst fear. Yeah, well, one of them. I I don't like the idea of being knocked out and then waking up in a torture room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, ah, oh, oh, fuck. <laughs> I, my my fears come true. It happened. It happened. Here I am. Let's get this over with, eh? <laughs> I've been afraid of this for a long time, so let's just start the torture now and get it over. <laughs> you know, I watched this program. I don't know if this was like an hour-long program. I don't know if it was a movie. It, it could have been an episode of, like, Doctor Who, for all I know. I was really young, uh-huh. and there were these two races of beings. One One of the race was an expert at torture and could could just eke out the pain they were just masters of it and this other race couldn't take any amount of pain and so the two got together and and the one race just like died instantly and disappointed the other race that was expecting this long drawn out experience i don't know what that was if anybody knows please let me know yeah that's interesting um i don't think we have too many more here uh, next up is Paul Tremblay. He's author of the awesome uh, Head Full of Ghosts and The Little Sleep. And he says that uh, Stephen King's It... I like his story. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read his yeah. story here. He says when he was 18, he was home for the summer recovering from a back surgery. And uh, he couldn't do anything, obviously, for a little while. So he thought about picking up uh, Stephen King's uh, it and he read the first chapter and then threw the book across the room because he was like uh you know i'm going to be stuck in the house for all alone all summer and i'm not going to be reading this fucking thing while i'm you know stuck here so he read the book uh in its entirety five years or so later and uh but he still names it as one of his you know most creepy books or scared uh, the books that scared him the most and more recently, he nates, uh, names Nathan uh, Ballingrud's novella, sorry, The Visible Filth, and that that's it for him. I've I've never heard of that. That might be interesting. I like that title, The Visible Filth. Yeah, <laughs> his his book is actually um, really tops on my list. I still have not read A Head Full of Ghosts. But I I will rec- I will remedy that before the summer is out. I promise. Yes. Um, next up, we have Eric Red, author of Don't Stand So Close, The Guns of Sena Sangre. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. And director of Bad Moon and One Hundred Feet. Uh, he lists same thing, uh, Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, uh, and Last Exit to Brooklyn and The Room. By Hubert Selby Jr. I've never heard of those, but well, Blood Meridian I have, but the the last two I haven't heard of. I don't think. I wonder if the room is the inspiration for the movie, and in which case I I can see how that would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, uh, Robert Dunbar. <clears throat> now he, uh, <laughs> I like his answer because it's kind of sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> He's like uh, the Bible, maybe. I don't know. You're not. You're not expecting me to say the stand, right? Please don't be nodding. <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, or please be nodding. But uh, he he goes on to name uh, uh, Rene Crevel's uh, difficult death uh, to be a contender. Uh, Dennis Cooper's closer. 
And uh, I think that's it. There's a bit of a paragraph here, but for time, I'm just going to skip it. Uh, Allison Littlewood, author of A Cold Season and The Unique House, uh, lists The Road by Cormac McCarthy, which, you know what, that, that book is very scary, but it's also, it didn't scare me, but it, it did disturb me. I just, I mean, the guy keeps running into cannibals, which I guess would be you know, a thing in in this world, but it, it's fucked up. And just the fact that he, the 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 father, it's a father and son story. The father is trying to protect his kid, and in this post-apocalyptic world, and uh, just his paranoia of other people is so profound. Like it doesn't matter if they're good or evil, he doesn't give them the chance. He hides from them the minute he senses they're near, and then he starts to get sick. And uh, he's not going to recover from that illness. So just those ideas there are uh, are kind of scary. But like I said... I was actually planning on, on watching the movie of that within like, the next few uh, days. Yeah, the the movie's good. But, you know, this this is the type of fiction that sort of makes you want to open up a vein <laughs> more than uh, get scared. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> Okay, Jonathan Mayberry, author of Rotten Ruin and Ghost Road Blues, he names The Haunting by uh, Shirley Jackson, and uh, that's the only one he mentions. And one last one, Brian Moreland, author of Dead of Winter and The Witching House, he names Peter Straub's Ghost Story, which which is cool. So, Michael. Yes. I know that you have a, a small... Maybe maybe small list. I know there's I know one of the books that are on this because we've discussed it. But uh, but what, what what book scared you? Now I I have a feeling that I'm just not going to mention the book that you're thinking of because I <laughs> because I <laughs> forgot about it. Uh, the number one book for me was, and I'm surprised no one mentioned it. The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson ah. just fucking scared the crap out of me. That's oh, yeah? such an experience. Oh my. God, I have to admit, um, I haven't read that one. Oh, it's it's awesome. It really is. Yeah. Um, the other one, really, the only other one that gave me that big of a reaction is Ray Garton's The Loveliest Dead. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, I have been raving about that a lot because I usually do my reading at night, mm-hmm. and I just I was scared silly reading that. You know, just the house was. You know, it's it's you know dark and it's quiet and every little stray noise i was like what's that, what's that? <laughs> yeah. what is that i just i don't even know how he, how he did it but uh oh just oh that was such a powerful book cool really scared me i um, love ray garden oh let's see i also wrote down bentley little's the haunted oh, which some people on that list mentioned little but uh it was the haunted for me yeah. That really got me. That's actually um, one of his really one of his best books, I would say. It would have to be. Um, I've read quite a few of his, and they kind of vary. Mm-hmm. But but I like the haunted a lot. Um, if we're going to talk King, I think Salem's Lot and The Shining were were pretty good. But the only thing of King that really scared me was the scene in Gerald's game when the killer is looking down on her when she's she's strapped to the bed and she's kind of delirious that that really stuck under my skin oh yeah um and and i just finished ramsey campbell's the parasite which gave me a little bit of the same feeling 
as the loveliest dead reading at night and and i started getting a little freaked out <laughs> and had to turn the lights on and with a title like the parasite you would think that would you know get under your skin as well <laughs> You know, it's such a great retro vibe. You yeah. know, it was, it was written in 1980, and it's it kind of like about it. that whole occult craze ah, that yes. that hit this country around there. Yes, uh, it's, it's a wonderful the, the retro satanic vibe. panic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the satanic panic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I never, uh, I never heard that alliteration before. That. I don't know if that's the actual term for it, but uh, uh, there was like that whole panic of Satanism and occultism in the eighties that, uh, and, and you know, people were making false claims and all that shit. Yeah, uh, it was a terrible time, very dark time for a Satanist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, well, I had a big I, reaction to that. I don't know why. Did I say us? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, yeah. them? Uh, yeah. Now those other people. Those 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 yeah those those hooded freaks. Uh, anyway, <laughs> no. Um, so what about your list? My list is uh, actually there's only three books on my list, and there's there might be more, but these books affected me the most in the scare wise, and one actually gave me like terrible nightmare. <laughs> Uh, those two books are by the same... The first two books are by the same author, Tim Curran. Um, and they're actually novellas. Um, the one is called Fear Me. And the other one is called The Underdwelling. Those two bo- uh, novellas are, like, seriously creepy. Um, Tim Curran, when he wants to, he can actually creep the hell out of you in, in his work. Uh, he's done it to me... At least those two times. He might have did it with his novel Dead Sea as well. There's some pretty creepy scenes in there. And there's certainly got to be others. But those two really stick out in my mind. Um, I don't know how he does it. But he, he just knows how to kind of scare me. <laughs> I'll have to look into those two. Definitely. Those two novellas are they're highly recommended. I love them. And uh, the, the next one scared and disturbed me. Uh, it, it really found that fine line and amplified it by a hundred and that's 1984 by George Orwell oh good pick because uh, well the first half is is you know it's just a fun read but once Winston uh, well finds himself in a torture room so to speak uh, that's when things get scary for me it's not exactly torture porn it's the ideas that come across kind of broke uh, a lot of things that I believed in and uh, you know how they say, you know, sometimes you come across a book that changed your life. 1984 yeah. changed my life because it changed some of the things I believed by introducing new, very dark ideas. But when I when I read that and when it first affected me, it, it scared the shit out of me. It wasn't like uh, I have to tiptoe to, and to the bathroom and run back and get my feet off the floor type yeah. scare. It was, it was a reality scare like... Uh, Nothing supernatural, obviously, but realizing... Yeah, it just kind of shook your belief system to yeah, the core. In a sense, it was like uh, realizing, uh, like, you know, cosmic horror, <laughs> in a sense, because you feel so little against the powers that are out there controlling you. And uh, and that made me feel even smaller. So, so uh, I definitely... I think that should be read by everyone, just especially in these times with, like, Donald Trump running for president... It's just scary. Uh, it could get even worse, you know what I mean? If Especially if he's voted in, which would be insane. Uh, that's just my opinion. <laughs> I, I need to read that again. I haven't read 1984 since junior high. 
Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, like you say, with everything going on, I know that some people have commented that that the real irony is that Big Big Brother is watching, mm-hmm. but we're the ones giving I'm, him the capability. We're yeah. recording everything ourselves. We're putting you know our photos and our videos up on social yep. media. We're we're giving it up. You know, you know, that's so. very true. I, I saw that statement, too. I think it was in reference to Fahrenheit 451. Uh, it was like the one thing Ray Bar- Bradbury didn't predict was that we would be buying the TVs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because in, yeah. That, in that book, they have, like, wall-sized TVs, and they're in every room. And, uh, well, <clears throat> and also those TVs can look at you and watch you yeah. and what you're doing. And in a sense, that's what smart TVs are, in a way. They're hooked up to Wi-Fi. Who knows what's going on, you know? And and, uh, and they have. He talks about little seashells. He calls them seashells in the, in in the ears, mm-hmm. which is, are are the ear earbuds. Yeah. He completely predicted that. <laughs> For sure, you know, yeah. we're we are just we're probably not even a decade away from having the kind of entertainment systems that Bradbury predicted in his oh, 451. Oh, sure. Which is awesome. So that's, that's it. Is awesome. It is. It but is, I'm not going to stop reading when it happens. So. No, like if we start burning books, I'm going to be like one of the uh, uh, the people who have like underground book parties. Yeah, <laughs> sort of like the uh, uh, when they banned alcohol. Yeah, library speakeasies. <laughs> yeah, we have underground book readings. <laughs> oh, They're going to get so raided, better. and then people you should write hand. that. Yeah, <laughs> you know it would happen. It would happen. And, it and would. If, if, I hope. If they were going to ban books like that. All right, so I think we talked uh, very much longer about this than we probably should have. So uh, Yeah, we filled up a whole show. We did. This was like an episode on its own. <laughs> All right, so... Which, uh, you know, I thought you had intended when you proposed this to me. No. Um, uh, I knew I was going into a very long episode, so I thought, why not cram it all together? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, we're going to take a break now, and uh, when we come back, I will be joined by Jasper Park, or sorry, not Park, Christ, Bark, and uh, we have a fascinating conversation. Um, like I said, he's, he's a fascinating guy. He is, and he's very entertaining. I, I like him a lot. He's very entertaining. He's fun to listen to. So when we come back, we'll have that, and then Christina Cooper will stop by. And she reviews Blackwater Val, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. With unmatched success since 2012, Crystal Lake Publishing has quickly become one of the world's leading indie publishers of horror and thriller books with a mystery and suspense edge. With stories, interviews, and essays by the likes of Wes Craven, Neil Gaiman, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, Kevin Lucia, Jasper Bark, Mercedes M. Yardley, Mark Allen Gunnels, and Clive Barker, you'll want to dive right in. Crystal Lake Publishing www.crystallakepub.com Oh 
but it knows I'm here. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. Now look, Doc, we're buddies, okay? But don't try to convert me. I'm trying to prepare you. My name's Markway, Dr. Markway, a scientist interested in the supernatural. The unnatural, if you like. I came to Hill House to find the key to another world. Assisting me in this exploration of the unknown was Eleanor, Nell, who could look back into the past, and Theo, something of a witch who could see into the future. This is Luke, who didn't believe in anything, until evil, patient and waiting, made him change his mind. Stop it! God. How many of us take seriously the things we cannot or do not want to understand simply because we are afraid? Eleanor, you're poor! Did you hear me calling? This house. You have to watch it every minute. The Haunting was produced and directed by Robert Wise, brilliant producer of West Side Story. The stars consist of a cross-section of top talent in the world of entertainment. Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, Russ Tamblin. What does it take to convince you that the dead do not always rest in peace? But some houses, like Hill House, are born bad. Welcome back. This week I am joined by uh, one fascinating guy. Uh, Jasper Park is the author of four novels, A Fistful of Strontonium, Sniper Elite, Spear of Destiny, Dawn Over Doomsday, and Way of the Barefoot Zombie. He is also the author of the short story collection Stuck on You and Other Choice Cuts, along with a slew of children's books and comics for both adults and children. Welcome to the show, Jasper. Thank you, Jason. It's a real pleasure to be here. <laughs> so uh, the other day uh, we were uh, we were talking on Facebook Messenger mm-hmm. uh, to <laughs> to uh, organize this uh, this interview. It, it took a while, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Like it, this is like one of the weirdest uh, t- uh, because things just kept coming up. It seemed like uh, the universe was against us talking. <laughs> It was, it was a little bit like we were kind of the two badasses at the back of the class. Yeah. And it was a case of, right, Bart, White, two of you separate. So, no, you can't be together. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what it felt Oh, like, no, uh, don't let them talk. No. But to, to make matters even uh, more embarrassing on my end, is, uh, after talking to you on Facebook Messenger, I, I guess I left it on that page on my cell phone, and then I threw it in my pocket and went downstairs. And uh, suddenly my shorts were making this god-awful sound. I never made a phone call before uh, on uh, Facebook, so I don't know what the ringer sounds like, but it's pretty strange. <laughs> and so I, I pulled my fo- cell phone out of the pocket, and 
and it says it's trying to phone you, and I'm like, oh my god, no. <laughs> what the? the what was worse, man? What was worse, man? You, you, you took a photo, and it was the one day you decided to go commando. <laughs> I was thinking, okay, we're friends, but you know, maybe that's a line we don't need to cross just yet. <laughs> no, no, that was intentional. That picture. Oh, right, <laughs> sorry. In that case, well, thank you. I'm really seriously flattered. <laughs> Darkness Dwells has to send his dick pics. Far be it from me to, um, <laughs> to, to, to book a trend or a tradition. <laughs> yeah. In that case, I'm honoured. <laughs> I, I will frame the picture and put it up on my wall. Yeah, you should. You should. Everybody should. I mean, it, it is my, uh, you know, infamous uh, dick pic, after all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, while researching you, um, I found some really interesting stories on your uh, on your webpage. Um, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and there's one that really struck me. Um, I've always dreamed of uh, finding my own, uh, one of my own books in a used bookstore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, in your novel section, you you have a story where this happened to you, but something kind of funny happened. Uh, can you reiterate the story for us? Yeah, um, it was. I think it was my second, maybe only my third book. Um, and it was actually it was a it was a first hand bookstore. Um, and I hadn't oh. I'd I'd been to signings and odd little things, and I'd seen it here there, but I hadn't actually ever walked into a bookstore off the street in a place I hadn't been before, and seeing one of my books on a shelf, and I got really, really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, w- it was a really quite a tiny store, but these shelves were slightly away from the desk, um, and I thought, uh, kind of around the corner, um, so I was hidden from the desk, and I thought, Do you know what I'll do? Um, it wouldn't be really cool if, if I took this book off a shelf, and I accidentally, and I just signed it without anyone knowing, um, and then put it back <laughs> on the shelf. So some person would come in and go, oh, I really like this book take the thing click home and go oh my god I've got a signed copy I thought what a treat what a little surprise Um, what I didn't um, uh, register was that they had videos kind of watching me and and, um, (laughs) the guy behind them excuse excuse me excuse me what do you think you're doing I'm sort of standing there with a pen in my hand I'd kind of have to pull up my bag and probably made a bit of a fuss about doing that and then with this pen on my book and and I went um uh, feeling really sheepish so I kind of came out from behind the bookshelf and went um I, I was just going to, you know, sign this book. <laughs> but you're defacing my property. I was like, well, no, no, no. I, says, I, I, I wrote this book, you know, and I thought it would be, would be kind of funny, you know, if I sort of signed it and put it back on the shelf. Can it, would, so, you know, just be like a like, like a signed copy that someone will find as a surprise, you know, just kind of like a little treat and extra sales incentive. And it gave me this most withering look. And I'm like, oh, God, now I've had everything. And I, and, I, and I said, well, if you're defacing my property, honestly, uh, you're going to have to pay for that. I but, but, I was going to, but it's my book. <laughs> I was like, it's a signed copy. It's like worth it. Well, you could put it on eBay. And he was like, oh, good Lord, now I've heard everything. And, and I was like trying to look in my pocket for some sort of ID. And I sort of went, oh, well, no, 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 this is me. I said, and I pulled out um, a credit card. I went, look, look, I really am. Look, Jasper Bark, and it's written by Jasper Bark. And I held it up to him and it, give me that hair, and he took it off me, and he put it through the card machine. Really? <laughs> and then handed me the book and the receipt. And I was a bit like, so, which, I kind of didn't feel like browsing anymore, because <laughs> he touched it at me. So I sort of left the store, like, oh. <laughs> with a half-signed book I'd written Jasper. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I thought, oh, great. And I didn't even give myself a message. I thought, how rude of myself. <laughs> you should have wrote, sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. <clears throat> oh, that's, a, that's awesome! I love that. I I had a good chuckle when I read that story. <laughs> it's just like one of those situations where things <clears throat> start out interesting, but you know, kind of descend into sort of madness. 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of those the universe is gently humbling you when you yes. get up with your stuff. I remember years ago, um, back when I was a stand-up, um, I, I went to um, the Edinburgh Festival. Now, Edinburgh Festival is an international theatre festival, but it's also a huge showcase for up-and-coming um, comics. And it was the first year I'd written a play, and it was very controversial, and it was being attacked by the tabloid press mm-hmm. um, for being... Um, uh, and. There was a big furore about it, and I got my own one-man show, and that wasn't causing as much of a furore, but um, I'd spent all days, you have to do at these sort of festivals, wandering around the streets, handing out tickets, and I'd gotten quite drunk, and I was wandering home to my, to my digs um, for that particular night, and I was walking down the Royal Mile, which is like the big main street of, um, uh, of Edinburgh, and it's quite late at night, it's about two in the morning, and I'm feeling kind of quite drunk. And I walked past this tramp who was like, uh, who was standing by the side of the road, and he had the most obscenely large man talking about dick pics. I've seen it over seen. It was like two hands. He was holding it, and he was like, he was like someone had turned on a fire hydrant. He was seriously how much I don't know, and it was like gushing out, and it was running in torrents down. And as I got like halfway down the street, kind of like trying to avoid this guy, kind of slowly rolling backwards and forwards on this pavement, which had been turned to rubber by all the whiskey I drunk. Yeah. Um, there was a big wad of leaflets on the gutter, and his kind of his urine was just pooling all around it. And I looked down; they were all leaflets from my one-man show. Oh. <laughs> and I thought it was one of those moments where you get like a little epiphany. And I sort of thought, this, this is what fame is. This is what you have to afford, Mr. Bark. Your image becomes so so commonplace; it becomes something that soaks up tramp piss. <laughs> Talk about humbling experiences. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, so <laughs> at that point, I kind of thought, well, you know, I guess the university is trying to tell me something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, of, no, what it was trying to tell me, but it was certainly trying to tell me something. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, you doing stand-up, uh, you've uh, you've done a lot of things in your life. Um, where did you grow up? Um, I, I'm the son of gypsies, so they moved <laughs> around a lot. Yeah. Uh, and they finally settled in, uh, and the the absolute the, the kind of the festering pimple on the backside of nowhere um, the hairy ass backside of nowhere <laughs> um, it was a little shipyard town where once upon a time they built nuclear submarines which is it's it's on a peninsula and there's one road in and there's one road out and it, ca- it used to feel, feel a bit like if you were growing up there it felt a bit like numb it's kind of like the only way you get out is in a body bag <laughs> so, um, and so I grew up in this tight in, in a in a small town around this tiny little shipyard town, um, and, and basically the, the educa- local education was absolutely atrocious because everybody just left school and went straight in the shipyard. Yeah. Um, until the 80s hit, and that was a time of mass unemployment um, over here in the UK. And then um, it was a bit like what happened with Detroit when all the um, industries shut down. Same thing kind of happened in this part of town. It just became a ghost town. Mm-hmm. And most of the um, stores and things closed down. But but by that point, I, I was one of the rats um, who, who they were jumping off a sinking ship as quickly as possible. Um, so wh- when I was about 17, um, I had a big... Um, I was a high school dropout. We didn't have high school in my school. Um, you left at 16, but the kind of slightly cleverer kids stayed on to kind of graduate and do something called A-levels. <laughs> and I, I wanted out, and, and I had a big argument with my parents um, and kind of uh, came to blows with my old man and, and left home. Mm-hmm. And basically, for about um, uh, a year and a half, I, I just kind of hustled, really, um, and sofa surfed, uh, was kind of technically homeless and a bit of a bum. So I finally got my act together um, and, and was 
completely lucked out and got a job in a theatre company. Cool. Um, was theatre something that you always wanted to do, or is it just something you stumbled into? Kind of both. Kind of both. I had always acted, um, and um, in this instance, um, uh, it was one of those lucky circumstances uh, where I uh, had contacts with people, um, and uh, I slept with the right person. <laughs> uh, and, and ended up um, as on an apprenticeship uh, scheme as a as a performer and a writer uh, with uh, what was quite um, uh, a big regional theatre company. Yeah. So that kind kind of started me off. Um, and they um, the word community theatre used to mean something different um, over here in the UK. It, it was professional um, uh, uh, kind of. Um, performers and writers who would go out and work in the community similar to um, companies from the 60s this was a, it was a very hippy dippy company I was part of called Welfare State International and they were very similar to the American equivalents of like the Living Theatre or the Bretton Puppets Theatre who were like really kind of radical or the um, the, the theatre never which I've forgotten um, who did the warp um, that Stuart Gordon uh, the, the guy who directed animator and um, uh or reanimator, sorry, and yeah. beyond. He started out in a theatre company, very similar to theatre company. I started out very kind of left wing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that that's what kind of kicked off my career. Cool. As a writer and a performer. So, uh, perusing your books, um, you write within like almost every one of your novels is in a different genre. <laughs> and so it makes me wonder what what kind of books did you read when you were uh, when you were growing up? Anything I could get my hand on, I hands on. I read absolutely voraciously. Um, I was um, a small, strange-looking kid growing up in a really rough, totally blue-collar working-class area. Um, where if you showed any sign of intelligence or any sign of difference, then you got routinely punched. Yeah. Um, and, and so obviously I had to fight to, to stay alive um, <laughs> on the one hand but on, <clears throat> on the other hand um, uh, like a lot of it, it's it's kind of very common story with a lot of writers um, you discover fiction um, I, I discovered um, Pulp Fiction and horror very early on horror was always um, a, a big favourite of mine but of course I read sci-fi and I read fantasy I read historical books I read uh, non-fiction and fiction when I was about 15 or so, um, I got into drugs and women, and I discovered the beats. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and then kind of decided I was going to be a poet and, and wrote lots of lots of dreadful poetry that everyone does at that age. Um, <laughs> fortunately, some of mine later got published, but, you know. Uh, did, you go to, did you go to readings, and uh, did people, like, click their fingers instead of clapping? Um, interestingly enough, no, in, in the UK, what they do is they, they do that kind of knowing love. <laughs> <laughs> and sort of point um, but yeah I was actually as well as being a stand up I was a performance poet for a long while as well and the, oh, yeah. the two kind of careers um, ran alongside each other in my early 20s so at most of my 20s I kind of lived a hand to mouth existence as a performer cool so uh, <laughs> would you say there's a, a genre you prefer to write in because it does seem kind of like you always return to horror if uh, if anything else <laughs> It's interesting. I was um, thinking about this the other day, and when I looked back, um, I probably began to conceive of myself as somebody who wanted to be a writer around about the age of 11 or 12, and that's when I first started writing short stories seriously. And mm -hmm. I think I, I knew I was going to be a genre writer, and I think I was thought I was going to be quite a highbrow sci-fi writer, um, but 
when I look back at all the earliest short stories that I wrote, and my first attempt at the novel at age 14, um, they were all horror stories. Um, all of them, just about. The, the ones that I didn't finish were all the science fiction fantasy stories. Not all of them. I finished a few of those, but every writer has a whole bunch of unfinished stories. Um, and interestingly, the things I was able to finish were always horror. Um, and although um, uh, when I got my start as, as, a, as a writer, um, I actually started uh, sort of moved from being a performer and um, a scriptwriter for radio and TV um, and a playwright into being a journalist um, and then from being a journalist I started writing comics and so comics I kind of wrote quite widely and so then when I started to sell novels again as a commercial writer I wrote quite widely but the, the stuff that always uh, had the biggest success for me um, was horror and it was kind of one of those things that you slowly wake up to I think yeah. in my late 30s it kind of dawned on I me mean, you know what you are a horror writer Mr. Bark um, <laughs> it's what you do best and so eventually I kind of sort of you know, came out the closet, gave in, admitted the fact that I was a kind of gore-soaked, blood-sucking, hideously um, depraved individual, and, <laughs> and I was going to write this kind of fiction probably for the rest of my life. Well, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. <laughs> Be true to yourself. Accept yes. what you are. Oh, man. Um, so uh, writing comics, uh, how exactly did you get into, uh, get into that and... Uh, What's the process like? Um, the process is incredibly tortuous. How I got into that, um, I phoned up the editor of the, the comic, 2000 AD. It's actually, he's actually now quite a well-known writer. He's Andy Diggle, um, mm -hmm. who writes for DC Comics. And he's even, um, the character Diggle uh, in the, the Arrow series is named after him. Okay. But at that time, he was a lowly um, editor at, at, the, um, at 2000 AD, which is the British comic that gave us Judge Dredd, amongst other things. Mm. Um, and, um, and I said to him, look, I'm a, currently a, a film and mu music journalist um, for the national stage. We both lived in London. I said, if there's any gig you want to go and see, any band you want to go and see, any film coming up you want to go and see, let me know. No strings attached. I'll take you out. Um, and he said, yeah, that sounds like a good deal. Um, so I took him out to a bunch of movies um, and he, he, um, we began chatting and he sort of said, I said, I've got this interview with the, these, um, uh, the cast of Snatch, the Guy Ritchie movie. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you can get Guy Ritchie or any of them to actually mention to us, he didn't give me a quote. He said, I'll buy a story of you no matter how crap it is. <laughs> um, and I proceeded at that time. I was actually also working as a, um, uh, uh, doing uh, TV presenting for cable TV as well as being a journalist. Wow! Um, and in the middle of this interview, and it was getting filmed, and I was taping it for uh, another magazine. Um, I asked this completely ridiculous roundabout question about 2000 AD, and and uh, Guy Ritchie and and Vinnie James looked at me a bit strange, but answered the question, and I got him the quote he wanted. <laughs> wow. Although I actually I let him off the hook, and, and I sort of said, "No, look, look, buy a story off me when it's good enough." Um, and, and then uh, a few months later, he, he left the job, uh, went to go and work for DC, and I ended up selling the story to his um, uh, his successor, who was, wow. who was Matt Smith. But um, so yeah, the, the basic way I did is the really um, although that got me ins, um, and I've always been an arch networker, uh, which has never been easier now thanks to the net. Once upon a time, you had to actually phone people up. Uh, <laughs> and kind of bother them and he'd even kind of find out which places they drank and kind of walk up to them and say can I buy you a drink <laughs> desperate to work or anything and that's kind of how, how I ended up with a, a nice middle class career even though I was like a high school dropout and had no qualifications to my name yeah well, just networking and bullshitting <laughs> that, that's what everything is though isn't it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um, 
So yeah, and, and also it's it's a little harder to, to to bullshit your way into fiction writing because you need to back it up. It's all very yeah. hard to make the contact, but you have to you know um, have the goods. So like everybody else, I, I submitted um, uh, along with the networking uh, and eventually made sales. And each sale raises your profile a little bit, and you get onto the next sale. Yeah, um, one one book of yours I, I found myself really interested in, and it's uh, Sniper Elite. Spear of Destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to know how difficult was that one to write, and did you have to do a lot, of, a lot of research because it's it's well, it's an alternative history book, but it's also based during World War Two. So, uh, so what was that book like writing? Um, that was actually um, that was still one of my kind of journeyman, almost apprentice novels. Um, uh, I, it was written at, at, at white hot speed at, with a really tight deadline. Um, I just quit my job as a journalist because I'd sold one novel, um, and I, I told my wife, "Right, I'm going to give up this very well-paid job. I'm going to write full time." And she was pregnant with my uh, with our second child. Mm. Um, and, and, and to her benefit, you know, I'm still alive to tell this tale. <laughs> Bless her heart. Um, yeah. And, and, and I, I kind of thought we'd um, we'd moved to the country because we left London to, for for a lovely kind of little rose covered cottage in the countryside. I thought I'd sit in in my study and think beautiful thoughts and look out over fields with lambs gambling about the place. I overlooked <laughs> the fact without two incomes coming in, there was no money for childcare. There was no money for 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 a cleaner for the house. There was no, all of that stuff was suddenly being done by me. Um, so I, I had that kind of J.K. Rowling moment of I was you know, I had like um, a newborn child and a tiny little toddler and I'm trying to write a novel um, to, to uh, uh, cranking it out at about two to three thousand words a day, fitting it in any single time they're vaguely asleep or kind of quiet. Um, so it yeah. was kind of hard, but the um, so that process was difficult and, and they gave me just about enough um, of an advance um, up front. Um, I got the advance paid in three things to. to pay for enough childcare to actually give me time to write it um, uh, but um, obviously not quite enough to give me all the space I needed yeah. um, And I, but I had to do a heck of a lot of reading um, And but I tend to research most things that I, that I write um, writers um, in an online interview um, a group interview with Brian Hodge and, uh, and the uh, which is coming out on a daily basis. And today I just read his little comment and he said the one thing about writers is they're great researchers. Yeah. And I think it is, it's a key part. You can almost lose yourself in too much research and you can almost kind of prevaricate and, and put off writing novel with the research you're doing because technically it does feed into what you're writing. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, <coughs> I mean, but, um, I mean we're, writers are very good at procrastinating and the best way to procrastinate is to you know to research, research. yes but um, i do i do endlessly research stuff i need to know that all the details i've got are right so that if somebody picks up your book and they're reading it and they just happen to live in this particular small town that you've mentioned yeah. and they happen to point out there's no main street you know or if there's a main street there's absolutely no 7-eleven on that corner you're like oh man i don't want them to go oh you got that completely wrong so yeah. i would go into google maps and i will go inside things and i will get down right down the street and i'll drive along the street as i'm writing ah right so i'll oh, mention that i mentioned that you know and then i'll t- so I, if i put any detail in i know that i've kind of i've covered almost every ground of that road that my characters have driven along yeah. i've walked down that street in that particular part of New York, if I'm, you know, or that particular part of, of New Delhi. Um, but interestingly, Sniper Elite, um, I uh, most of my uh, my both my sister, my brother-in-law, 
uh, my father and, and most of my uncles um, all went to fight in the military. My father went and fought in Korea wow. um, and ended up um, doing some, some weird black ops stuff. Hmm. Uh, and um, uh, he, he killed a lot of people, uh, and so did his brothers. And they came home very, very damaged men. Yeah. Uh, um, and and um, as a kid, I um, I never had any of that crap about. Oh, I don't let my child play with guns or knives. You know, I had um, I, I had more guns and knives than I had to do with. But um, <laughs> and you'd, you'd kind of you'd sort of like show them off to one of your uncles. Look, 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 look what I got! And they'd kind of take them off you. you know, and uh, it would be like, oh, woo, 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 what fun! Yeah. This was like an armed trained killer pickup. Oh, you're awesome. <laughs> oh, no, no, they're not like that. Yeah. Yeah. They want to do a punt on about, and it'd be like it would just be really scary. Like, oh, no, I don't. Um, so, I, I was writing about a trained killer who was murdering people in his prime, and I thought, you know, I thought to myself, about three quarters way through the novel, it occurred to me that I, I grew up with this man, you know, this this man came home, and he was like my father and my uncles, um, he went out, they went out, they killed people, and so th- it was kind of edifying, and I sort of had, um, it was fascinating, I remember, because growing up as a kid, um, I, I'd be sitting down trying to watch the Six Million Dollar Man or yeah. the Incredible Hulk, and uh, and my, my uncles were and my dad would be getting drunk in the kitchen. Come on, come here, 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 come here. Gonna show you the right way to use a bottle. Take some fucker out, right? No, come here, come here, hold the fucking bottle. I'm like, no, stand here. I don't know. Come at me. Come at me. Um. And so, and, and then I'm writing this novel, and I'm thinking, oh, no, so, so what is it like to actually seriously take somebody out and have a knife? And um, and I'm standing in the kitchen, and it's Christmas Day, and I've got my dad, 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 come here. It's like what? It's like now, come over with this bread knife, okay? So if you're going to take me out of the sternum, <laughs> no, 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 not this, like that. So, and I'm so, so, so how easy is it to get in all? No, this this side, this hard. You don't want to do that. And, and my daughter's coming and looking at me, going, "Oh look, Daddy and Granddad are playing knives." <laughs> and it was this ridiculous kind of like sudden total change that I'd called my dad away from the television set, sitting there watching some rerun or whatever, to actually, Dad, Dad, show me how you murder a man with a bottle. Come on, <laughs> this is really good. I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Uh, my my grandfather uh, went and served in World War II, but uh, I never had the chance to meet him because he, uh, well, he died from, like, cirrhosis of the liver at oh, the age of, sorry, like, man. 60 or something. Yeah. Well, I was, like, I was three years old, I think, when he died. But I've heard stories. He was, like, pretty damaged, too, so. <laughs> but I, I think that that generation were, um, and obviously my dad um, is slightly younger than that, but, but they were a bit damaged. Um, yeah. And, you know. Well, um, it, was, it was a very dark time, so. A lot of uh, a lot of bad things happening. <laughs> yeah, well, thank goodness we weren't called to serve. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. You uh, you have a new book coming out with Crystal Lake Publishing. Uh, um, I actually um, I have if I if I may plug them I have three books coming out two with Crystal Lake Publishing and one with Night Watch Press. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, uh, I only knew about. Uh, uh, the one uh, Crystal Lake Publishing. It comes out tomorrow at, as of this recording, which is May 26th, so May 27th is uh, when the final cut comes out. Uh, that is tomorrow, right? That's right, and awesome. I'm very excited for it. Um, and and we're counting up the pre-orders, but I think we've just gone into um, three figures. Of oh, that's awesome. So, so, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, it, it would be pretty rubbish if I was Stephen King, but, but I'm not, so I'm, I'm quite content with that. Thank you. 
reaching Stephen King, man, uh, I think only Joe Hill's going to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> he certainly deserves it. He's certainly as talented as his, as his oh, dear yeah. Bob. For sure. I'm, I'm not going to, like, pick on any of those writers. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, not at all. But uh, tell us about the final cut. Um, what's it about? It, it's a novel, um, and um, it's a, a, a fictional exploration of the, the reasons uh, and, and our motivations for watching, reading, writing, and making horror fiction and horror movies, the things that impel us um, to do this. Mm-hmm. Why do we decide to do it? And, and why do we, as horror fans, love it so much? Um, and um, it, uh, it tells the story of uh, a couple of uh, indie filmmakers uh, living in London who um, stumble across a, a, the worst snuff film they've ever seen in their lives under the worst possible circumstances to watch it. And they decide, um, having survived these circumstances, to see if they can actually cut up the, the snuff film and build their next movie around it. Um, this isn't such a great decision as it turns out um, but at the auditions they come across um, a leading lady who happens to be the absolute spitting image of the main victim in the snuff movie um, and they think wow they've totally looked in but as it turns out she is not quite what she appears to be and in fact the snuff movie isn't quite what it appears to be and they're sucked into a paranormal mystery um, that that, um, that that eventually ends up with them actually enacting um, ancient myth cycles from ancient Mesopotamia. Um, and it starts out as a very nasty, gritty um, crime novel. It it slowly develops into paranormal mystery, then becomes something of an urban fantasy, and sort of takes off into mythopoeic um, uh, horizons. Wow, that sounds uh, that sounds kind of epic. Um. Well, I, I obviously I can't comment, but but fingers crossed. <laughs> it's a very it's 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 a very ambitious novel. Um, yeah. In the past, I, I've been quite ambitious, and when you work in uh, in genre fiction and you work at the slightly pulpier end, um, sometimes if you do try and be quite ambitious, um, you can sort of fall between two stools. Uh, I've taken a kicking in the past um, from some critics going, "This is just pretentious crap." I wanted big explosions. This guy's trying to be all pretentious. And the critics who might um, specifically uh, be sympathetic towards your loftier ambitions going, well, this is just pulp crap. This is explosions and crap. What's going on here? Um, luckily, fingers crossed, the advanced reviews have, have all been glowing. Um, and um, so, um, yeah, I, I could just point to them. So uh, we've got the first um, wave of reviews in. Everybody's been incredibly kind and extremely excited about the book. And they've said some really nice things. So, um Fingers crossed for excited about it. I think it's going to do well. Um, it's got a lot of uh, it's got a lot of coverage now, and you're you're with uh, Crystal Lake Publishing. They're uh, they're fantastic with uh, marketing. They're they're one of the best, I think, in the uh, small markets that w- are actually willing to put time into marketing your work. They are absolutely superb. They they put time in at every single level. Um, having worked for mainstream publishing um, and also worked in the indie press, um, with regards to just the care and attention that that's paid to getting the text into a proper publishable um, state, which is often more than you might realise. I've never worked with a publisher that's taken such time, care, trouble, and attention. Now, there's, a, there's not just one proofreader it goes to. There's a team of proofreaders. You're not just edited by one person. You are edited by a team of people. And the advice is always unfailingly good. Um, 
the only um, criticism I had was just that um, some of them put semicolons in my work, which is just <laughs> something I hate. But it's like just wrong, man. <laughs> That's that. wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think, um, what was it, Kurt Vonnegut replied to them as transvestite hermaphrodite creatures from Mars. Um, uh, uh, don't use them all the yeah. shows that you've been at college. Well, I haven't been at college, so, um, so stop it. You're not sticking semicolons in my work. Yeah. But, uh, but aside from that, and that's simply a matter of taste and style, and uh, that was just a stylistic choice, uh, it, uh, they did an amazing job on it. Um, so I could not be happier um, yeah. with the shape it's in. And the cover, um, the cover is sweet too. It's pretty darn excellent, isn't it? Yeah. Nothing says horror quite like uh, a hipster with a man bun being duct taped to a chair, ankle deep in gore, being forced to watch a snuff film. Yeah, <laughs> it makes you it makes you question what exactly is going. On. I mean, there's no other book I don't think really with a cover like that that's not going to make somebody pick it up and turn it around and read the back. You know, I certainly hope so, and I rather hope the blurb, which we spent a long time on, will also make them think, yes, I must cough up my hard earned cash for this. Yeah. For sure, um, you. Uh, oh, you mentioned also that you're, you're you're coming out with a couple other books with Crystal Lakes. Could do you mind uh, telling telling us about that? Not at all. I'd be incredibly glad to because um, two weeks after the release of um, uh, the final cut, hopefully at this point, when the, the bo- loads of people have bought the book and thinking, I must read the next thing by Jasper Bach. I just must. We're coming up with a novella uh, called Run to Ground. Um, this is um, uh, I, I'm I'm known for writing stuff that's highly imaginative, highly thought provoking, but also kind of it's on the more extreme side of splatterpunk. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the final cut is it is quite gory. Um, Run to ground is just ridiculous. It's kind of it it's shot through with jet black humour. Um, it is um, slightly over the top. I describe it as extreme folk horror. Mm-hmm. Um, Folk horror was a um, is actually undergoing a, a revival. It was quite big um, here in the uh, UK in the seventies with films like The Wicker Man, um, Blood on Satan's Claw, and okay. Witchfinder General. Um, novels like Thomas Tryon's Harvest Home is another good example. Basically, a bunch of urbanites leave the city, go and live in a small rural location, find ways around near a bank below you thank. Um, and the strange, evil, satanic goings on, and, and ancient rites being enacted, and they get all caught up in them. Um, uh, and the most recent example probably would be the witches. That would be a, another great example of um, of folk horror. It's undergoing a bit of a resurgence. Sites mm-hmm. by Ben Wheatley is another great film, which is probably along another um, similar lines. Um, this is extreme folk horror. Uh, folk horror often a bit like shh, quiet horror, tends to be. <laughs> tends to be it's not really frightening you'll just be a bit uneasy it tends to be slightly the kind of higher brower end of of horror and so does sort of folk horror and the extreme horror they're sort of the nasty kind of bad boys wearing leather spitting on the floor kind of snickering to themselves at the back of the class who were going to flunk it <laughs> you, you kind of get the feeling um, <clears throat> but and I, I kind of I, I feel a, a great sympathy with both sides of the coin I must admit um, I have literary aspirations but I also like the nasty shit yeah. um, and, and th- this is the example of that. I, I love the folk horror genre. Uh, I thought, wouldn't it be great if you just dipped the whole thing in a giant bucket of gore? Yeah. As well. So well, it will be extreme, probably um, uh, described as extreme folk horror. That, that sounds awesome. Um, I kind of like the idea of switching, you know, I mean, you got to have fun sometimes too, right? 
I, I think so too. And um, I, I, uh, it is unfortunate when um, battle lines are drawn and people, um, if people just say they only read one genre, um, that's unfortunate. Um, yeah. When it comes down to I only read this type of horror or I only read that type of horror, it, I find that a bit foolish. I, I love, <clears throat> I, I love. Um, really intensely um, literary writers like Thomas Ligotti and Laird Barron, oh, yes. uh, old school people like Robert Aitman, um, M.R. James, Seabury Quinn, uh, Lord Dunsany. But I love the really pulpy, nasty, gory stuff the Sean Hudson's, the Richard Lehman, um, the James Herberts. <clears throat> uh, people like Jack Ketchum is another example of somebody who I think he writes amazingly well, but oh, yeah. he absolutely. Hugely um, steeped in blood, absolute total visceral seat of the pants writing. It, it, so, Jack Ketchum can also do the literary type thing, but go completely extreme. Way extreme. See, I love that. And, and again, I, I sort of. Um, Clive Barker's an example of somebody who writes oh, very, um, much, yeah. very, very weighty themes, but extremely gory. And obviously, that's what I aspire to. I'm not trying to put myself on, on a similar level as two writers of that caliber, and that's not for me to say or decide, but. That's that's my aspiration, um, and and writers like that I think are, um, are generally admired by most people within the community, and so mm-hmm. it would be nice be nice to, to achieve something that they've achieved when, when I've written as many books as they have. Yeah, so uh, uh, so yeah, ground, and it's sent run to ground is set in a um, in a graveyard. The, the whole thing takes place in a, in a nice little rural graveyard. Um, and the lead character is named after the head honcho um, uh, at the Ginger Nuts of Horror, which is a, a wicked website. Um, it's been massively supportive of me. Um, and I originally penned the story to go in an anthology called Jim McLeod Must Die, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a, a single copy only. And it was put together by a group of um, authors, all of whom had been hugely helped by Jim um, and all the things that he does. And that was a way of us saying um, thank you very much. And I took that story and expanded it a little bit, and it became Run to Ground. Awesome. And uh, when's that one coming out? That's coming out on June the 10th, so two weeks directly after um, the release of the final cut. That's incredible. Um, Do you plan on working with uh, Crystal Lake beyond that at all? Yes, I have one or two uh, projects. At the moment, I can't announce anything. Sorry, I don't want to be kind of one of those vague, irritating people. Mm, I have some good news to tell you. But not just <laughs> but yet. I can't say it. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Well, shut up then. <laughs> <laughs> Either do it or don't. Mm, I might release a press release, but I won't. Yeah, F off. <clears throat> but anyway, so, excuse me. Yes, um, uh, there, are, there are a couple of projects um, that I've discussed with Crystal Lake, uh, which we will work on. Once this is all put to bed, yeah. um, I've counted the money from, from these books, um, we'll get on to those books. Um, and given the amazing um, uh, uh, support and response I've had from Joe um, for the last two, three books that I've brought out with him, um, it's very possible I'm, I would do more with him. Uh, unless my agent suddenly gets me a major deal. But, but even then, I think I'll probably I'll write something for Joe and something for, for more money. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, uh, do you and have the a third book? <coughs> oh yes, which, the third which book. Which is coming yeah. out, which is coming out the beginning of July. So, th- sort of three weeks after um, Run to Ground. You have um, a busy couple months coming up. <laughs> I, I have, I have actually. It's kind of um, yeah. We have a joke because uh, public transport in my country is ridiculous, um, and you will stand for over an hour at a bus stop, and then three will appear in convoy. Yeah. 
And uh, honestly, and it, it's it's such a common sight that, uh, that it, it's become like a truism. You know, you wait an hour and three come on all at once. <laughs> and that that's kind of what it appears to have sort of been. Um, um, for me at the moment, actually, yeah, um, my work tends to sort of um, it kind of come in little clusters. Uh, but I, I've been working um, hard uh, for the past um, year or so. It's all just coming out now in the kind of middle of this year because I have a couple of graphic novels coming out after this as well. But um, but but the third um, novella I have coming out as a chapbook is with Nightwatch Press, who are uh, they're an indie um, I haven't worked with before, but I, I know them all. And it's an interesting indie because it's changed hands about three or four times since it was founded. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I actually struck the deal with with, um, with one group of people who are running the press, and, and they've handed me over to another group of people who are running the press. Um, and, and I wondered, in, I sort of wrote them a little letter saying, um, uh, are you still publishing this? And luckily, they, they were still um, uh, big fans of what I'd done already, so they said, yes, we'd love to bring it out. It's called Bed of Crimson Joy. Um, and and this is um, it's actually it's, uh, something of a genre mashup of of quiet uh, the, the subgenres of quiet horror, erotic horror, um, and a little bit of extreme horror, <laughs> just sneaking in there right at the very end. Um, and in the same way that um, quiet horror tends to uh, depend upon building both character and atmosphere and having a slow burn yeah uh, and, and building up um, a sense of unease rather than wanting to seriously scare you or, or repulse you uh erotic horror obviously yeah, is a tent upon um getting you off <laughs> yeah and um which is no bad thing honestly i've got some extremely steamy um sections in some of my books um and um uh, I've got nothing against erotica. And in fact, I, uh, one of some of my earliest um, professional sales were to erot- the erotic market. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, and so, but um, I'm trying, attempting to kind of play very quietly uh, with these genres and slightly subverting the expectations of each. And kind of, it's sort of interesting to kind of, you know, just to kind of cross pollinate, see what happens. Um, and this, um, it's a. Uh, so yeah, so you will feel uneasy and you will feel repulsed and you will feel turned on, but not in all the places where usually you, you would imagine you would do this. <coughs> That's out from Nightwatch Press on the 1st of July. Wow. Um, well, I, uh, I'm i going to wish you the best of luck with all this. Um, uh, yeah, thank you. you I, yeah, I think the future is looking bright for you, my friend. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers oh, crossed, nice, but yeah. Oh, it, it, I... I I think it's all going to accumulate, and uh, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna reap your rewards. I think that are probably due to you, <laughs> especially like you worked hard. Uh, you've had a fascinating life. You uh, you're writing good stuff. So thank let's, you. Let's see where it's going, right? Uh, so uh, where can listeners find you online? Um, first stop off is my website, which I am just in the process of revamping. Um, it's kind of it's uh, it's a nice website. Looks quite cool. It's got I like it. Yeah, I like great it graphics. But it, it's it's a little bit um, in need of an update at the moment. Um, it was a great website for for the for 2009, but you know uh, things have moved on a bit. Um, yeah. And so I'm I'm just in the process of updating it. But that's that's www.jasperbark.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. Just look me up as as Jasper Bark. Um, no problem there. I'm on Twitter as at Jasper Bark. Um, I have a 
Patreon page I'm just about to launch, which will be under Jasper Bark, go figure. Um, <laughs> and um, I, um, I'm also in the process of actually launching uh, a YouTube channel. Uh, again, if you just type in Jasper Bark into the YouTube search, uh, they'll find me. It's nice that I have a name that nobody else does, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, that's uh, it's very easy to narrow you down. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, and to 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 search for me, yes. Yeah. In fact, and interestingly, um, there I was on uh, online um, a few years back, and there's a place called Jasper Bark Lodge, which somebody named after um, their dog Jasper. Yeah. Uh, well, when I was growing up as a kid, because um, uh, uh, my father named me Jasper, it was a boy named Sue syndrome. Growing up in a really rough um, area, it was like, a he thought Jasper was a villain's name because it kind of was when he was growing up. Yeah. And B he thought I would have to be seriously hard to get away surviving with the name of Jasper. Overlooked the fact I might become like an arty, farty, pretentious <laughs> writer. <laughs> but um, Arsie, but yeah, so, so yeah, usually, so most fights would start along the lines of Jasper. What kind of name is Jasper? That's a dog's name. What's your last name? And I'd kind of shoot just look at my floor and go, Bark. <laughs> um, I hasten to add, by the way, I mean, I grew up in the north of England, and they, they all do sound exactly like the wildlings of where I grew up in, in the Game of Thrones. I, I, I kind of, if you imagine the bleak, kind of like northern kind of like things, almost with the zombies as well, that, that's not a bad... Um, if you were to cross that... Um, with kind of your view of sort of like 1980s um, Soviet bloc. That was kind of like the place I grew up in. <laughs> that was the architecture, and, and yeah, well, I was surrounded by the wildlings. From squalor to riches. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I actually subscribed to your YouTube uh, uh, channel uh, before talking to you here, and while we were talking... I, uh, I, uh, I pre-ordered the final cut, and I'm thank you so uh, much for that. You are quite welcome, and I'm looking forward to reading it. And so I'm going to wrap up this uh, conversation. It was a blast having you on the show. I mean, I think out of all the people I've had on the show, you are the funniest. Well, that's most kind of you to say. <laughs> I am getting treatment though. That will clear up soon. I promise. <laughs> no, don't get the treatment. That's that's. <laughs> we need laughter in our lives. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you definitely uh, you can come back on the show anytime uh, if you want to come back uh, when you're coming out with new books and whatnot, uh, and we can talk again and we can uh, uh, we can tell some more war stories. That would be super, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a real blast. What I wanted to do to the reader was to hurt the reader and to also exhilarate uh-huh. the reader at the same time. Stay will mean worse than your death. They flunked that. They are flunked! Christina Cooper. Fans of modern horror. Hi, it's been a while, but I'm back. And I'm here to review Blackwater Val by William Gorman. 
This tale was labeled mystery, thriller, and suspense, which it is all of those things. But if you ask me, it also has a touch or more of horror, so I thoroughly enjoyed it. I always love finding new-to-me authors also, so this was a double treat. We start this book with a hint of darkness and destruction in Germany in 1945 as we get a glimpse of a deal for a curse between, from what I understand to be Hitler, and someone described as a sorcerer slash alchemist slash occultist. Then we move on to some of the main characters, which there are many, including poor recently widowed Richard and his only child, a little girl named Katie, whom I think is around the age of six. The father and child are on a road trip to Richard and his deceased wife's old stomping grounds. They're going to deliver and spread the ashes of Richard's dead wife on her birthday. This is a journey to Blackwater Val where Richard and Michelle grew up and where Michelle's parents still live. Strange things start to occur before the pair of travelers even reach Blackwater. There are police and ambulances and more all around. What can only be described as a sinkhole in the road. And if you are able to go back through the story or remember after you're finished, Katie's reaction to the sinkhole situation will creep you out and make a whole lot more sense. Anyway, the pair just continue on towards their somber destination. Next, we get a peek into a church and a large Indian man, whose name you will learn later is William Salt, but the pastor calls him Prarshin, and the pastor's name is Simon Julian, who simply looks at the Indian and says, They have arrived. In the context of the story, the pastor could only be speaking of Richard and little Katie, which gets us readers instantly wondering why the pastor feels the need to know or worry about this innocent father and child arriving in town. We get some history of Blackwater Val off and on throughout the tale as we meet new characters and gain some interesting information from flashbacks from Richard growing up there and insights from each new character we meet as well. This really helps explain the town itself, the residents, and will all be necessary information as the story continues. So pay attention. Personally, this is when I love my Kindle's highlight feature. Richard finally visits and introduces us to Michelle's parents, the Deadmans. The dad is George, and he seems like a sweet, good old guy who loves his daughter and his granddaughter and is possibly pushed around and maybe even bullied by his wife. The mom is Glee, and she runs a televised controversial talk show right out of the local church with the support of the good pastor. And you can't forget the loyal family dog, Blondie who plays a large and heroic role in this story later on. 
and also used to belong to Richard and Michelle, but they left him with her parents when they moved away to start their own lives. Also entering the story is Richard's old school bestie, Tommy, who has had his fair share of loss, trouble with the law, and typical small-town drama. But once they reconnect, their relationship becomes as close as it ever was. Since this is a mystery, I won't give away too much about the struggles, the odd things that occur, or the many, many plot twists, which are all wonderful. I will just say that this story has pure supernatural evil, black magic, there are humans that are evil, there is just so much suspense, heartache, drama, and infinite amounts of interesting and curious things going on, not only in the town, but with its residents and also with little Katie. There were moments I was on the edge of my seats. There were moments I felt utter hatred for certain characters, and a couple of times towards the end where I actually cried. The only thing I have left to say is that things are not always as they seem, for the better or for the worse. And I cannot recommend Blackwater Val enough. This is one of those stories that deserves more than five stars from this horror lover. So, of course, I most highly recommend this to all fans of modern horror, but also to any mystery lovers and thriller lovers. Even people who love the occult or the supernatural. There's something in this story for everyone, and I feel very comfortable saying that you will be highly entertained. Thank you. So that was one hell of an episode. Huge, huge episode. Huge episode. Which is funny because uh, when I went to Ad Astra, I went to this one uh, podcasting panel, and uh, one of the guys there was saying how people would complain about long episodes, and I kind of do too. I don't like it going past an hour and a half when I'm listening to podcasts uh, because then you're just talking about hijacking people's time more, right? Um, we had a lot of different segments in this one, though. Yeah, and we're not going to do it very often. It was just sort of like a... It had to... I, th- I think it had to happen all in one because uh, of everything that's going on. And and you know what? Uh, Darkness Dwells has become kind of busy. We have a lot of uh, things coming up. And uh, so definitely uh, stay tuned. We have, we have more guests lined up now than we ever have. So uh, it's an exciting time for us. And we hope that you will stick with us, and uh, and uh, you know keep listening. So uh, if you want to get in 
contact with us. It's very easy to do. There's so many, so many places. So many. <laughs> you can visit us online at wheredarknessdwells.com. Uh, you can visit us on our Facebook page and like it, uh, the Facebook page, and that's www.facebook.com slash wheredarknessdwells. And uh, you can email us at darknessdwells74 at gmail.com. And we're also on Twitter. And our handle for that is at darkdweller74. And I think I got them all. There's also a Facebook group um, where you can post your own subjects and uh, and uh, we, we will discuss them with you. So I, I think that's all. There's plenty of options. Plenty. So we want to hear from you, please. Yeah, please. And also uh, consider uh, rating and reviewing us on whatever, uh, wherever you're getting the Darkness Dwells podcast from, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, or uh, Google Play. Google Play, yeah, we're available there, but I don't yeah. think you can rate reviews on that. I, I've looked. Oh. Which is, they need to change that. There's a couple of things yeah. they need to do. It's, it's pretty young for Google Play, uh, the whole podcasting thing, but there's a few things they need to fix, but uh, I, I'm really happy that we're on uh, Google Play at the same time, because I love Google Play. <laughs> I love my Google, too. Alright, everybody, so uh, thanks again for listening, and we will be back again next week. Have a wonderful time until we see you again. Don't melt. And until then, stay dark, my friend. Stay dark. Stay dark. Stay dark. Stay dark.